It's, it's an honor and privilege to introduce to you guys a man who loves the Lord, who revels in the Lord's love for him, uh, and has a zeal and a gift to share it with the world. So let's be very thankful. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word, and thank you for being with us this week, Scotty. It's a real delight. Well, good evening. I um, have a great esteem for those of you in student ministry of all forms, from the youngest to the high school and college. Spent the first 10 years of ministry in youth ministry, and I'm so thankful for you guys. And if I can only say one thing loud and clear these days we are together, your labors in the Lord are not in vain, whether it's in Nagoya, Japan, whether it's in Kirk the Hills, St. Louis, whether it's in that beloved Signal Mountain, shout out to Camille. Where are you, Camille? Oh, there you are. Is Andy here too? Hey, Andy. Yay, Andy. Love that place. Wherever God has placed you, he claims it. And one day, the entire earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Uh, Everywhere you labor, everywhere you weep, everywhere you currently dance, everywhere you spend, if it's Nagoya, seven years, watching one precious young man come to the knowledge of Jesus. It belongs to him. All of history is bound up with God's commitment to redeem his people from every single race, tribe, tongue, and people group and to finish making all things new through Jesus. All of history is bound to these two great realities. And we want to understand that. We want to find the freedom we need in this incredible gathering this week just to enter in together as a community. And uh, what I'm going to be doing For the three times I get to preach, which is tonight, Wednesday night, Thursday night, and then gathering Friday morning, I want us to walk through one psalm together that's so freakishly real and honest. If you would turn in your Bible or something electronic that would put your eyes on Psalm 73, it's right in the middle of the Bible. I think it's so even just kind of literary genius of God in the middle of the Psalter and in the middle of the Bible to place this psalm. Because Psalm 73 is written by somebody that did what we do. Asaph was someone like us in vocational ministry. And Asaph was just no ordinary person in God's story. Uh, He was appointed by King David to be a principal songwriter and worship leader in the tabernacle. Uh, scholars, many scholars would say that his ministry was somewhere between 40 and 50 years and that he actually ended up also working in the temple for King Solomon. So if you put those two stories together, laboring for David and Solomon, you got to see a lot of crazy during those years. It wasn't all fun. And I think you'll see this as we walk through this psalm. There's three words over the course of my three preachments with you that we're going to focus on. Uh, And they all start with W. So if you're someone that just kind of holds on to kind of the sequential unfolding of something, think of these three words. But more importantly, I pray they will be your experience this week together. First one is weariness. This is a psalm that shows genuine kick-ass weariness. Someone that loved God so much but absolutely was weary. The second is wander. There's something about Asaph as he tells a story that we see the the picture of a wandering heart. We sing that great hymn, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. 
prone to leave the God I love. Asaph's going to show us what that looked like in his day, his context. Third word, wonder. This is an incredible psalm like all psalms that show us more of Jesus. In fact, I wonder in Luke chapter 24 if on the day of walking on the road to Emmaus, if this would have been one of the psalms that Jesus spoke to those that, to whom he revealed himself after his resurrection, if, what he would have said about himself in Psalm 73, because he's clearly here. So let me just pray very briefly for us. You guys are road weary. You need some of you even to get checked into where you're going to be sleeping tonight. So this will be the briefest word I'll share, 20 minutes or so. We'll pray uh, one final song, and then you'll get on with your evening. But let me pray briefly for us. Father, thank you for the gift to me that R-O-Y-M is. I thank you for this remarkable band of gospel brigands that, Lord, love you, love well, that, Lord, lead with a limp, that know that only in the gospel is there the cessation of reposing and pretending, that the gospel is the ultimate no-spin zone, that we don't fake it in the plate, we don't spin anything, we're right here, Lord, together with the leadership that will invite us this week, indeed, to learn important, critical stuff, a philosophy of ministry, of learning some important ways of new modalities, of loving students to the gospel sanity that is the gospel, the glorious calling that we share. But Lord, I pray that we will know, even beginning tonight, that uh, we matter. None of us is the point. But whether we come in in weariness, whether we are wandering all over the map, that for each and every one of us, there is more of the wonder that you intend by your spirit to show us and to allow us to seep in deep into our bones in fresh ways. Father, there's only one love that's better than life. There's only one love that will never let go of us. There's only one love that is enough for both the repentable and the repairable parts of our stories. And it's lavishly given to us in Jesus. Lord, show us through our friend Asaph that journey, that storytelling wonder that we share together. And Lord, may we really experience this week the breath of our God bringing renewal and refreshment and tears of relief and laughter that echoes that which goes on in the chambers of heaven tonight. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So I'm just going to basically read through the psalm and kind of highlight these three grand realities and trusting God's spirit to give you permission and freedom that is absolutely yours in Jesus because the gospel is not only true, it is beautiful. Like I said, Asaph uh, is someone who is uh, eminently gifted, someone that loves the worship of God, someone that loves serving the people of God. But listen to his story. Verse 1, Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now he's about to get real honest. In fact, if you're familiar with the language of a pity party, you're going to read one of the most uh, 
biblically recorded pity parties you've ever read in your life. And it's not something we say looking down at Asaph, but remember, he wrote his story for the whole congregation to sing. The vulnerability of this, our brother, the reality of saying, you know, I'm, I'm writing this psalm now in a moment of fresh gospel sanity, but you need to know this is what can happen to God's daughters and sons who serve him and love him. Sometimes it feels like this, speaking now of those that he envied. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice in their arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to them, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. And now we get a taste of this. Pity parties, cutting up his own confetti, throwing it up in the sky. Watch it fall on him. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued, I've been punished every morning. Really, Asaph, every single day, no exception, every morning that has been your portion. Well, we, we know that's not literally what his life has been like forever. But when he was in the middle of that story, it's exactly what it felt like. wonder what it feels like for you when you pray for those students, those middle-aged students that drive you to Jesus or drive you crazy, those high school students that are alive to far more temptations, my goodness, than I was as a high school senior in 1968. You know, when you're in the middle of planning and praying and leading, and yet you know in your own heart the contradiction of a life that seems just to be so disconnected from what you want these kids to believe. Where do you go with that stuff? What do you feel like when you're wondering yourself, is it really True. See, a part of what this psalm does is show us that, that doubt is not the same thing as unbelief. And we don't know how long Asaph was in this place of weariness. We don't know for him everything that led up to the weariness. I had an incredible wall of burnout as a 50-year-old pastor in downtown Franklin, Tennessee, and I didn't see it coming. I mean, it was in a season when our ministry was going really well, but emotionally, physically, spiritually, in every sense of the term, I absolutely hit a wall, and I knew an ache and an emptiness and a contradiction to what was going on around me, and I did not know what to do with it. I had lived for years in ministry as the Wizard of Oz, hiding behind curtains, you know, pushing some buttons, and fortunately, they were true buttons. The gospel's true, doing what a lot of you guys do in ministry, knowing that God is faithful, and yet the disparity, the disconnect of heart, I did not know what to do with it. And God gave me the gift of burnout. 
He gave Jonah the experience of becoming whale vomit. All because he loves us. You know, I think the, the passage that uh, Michael read as we began tonight, Philippians 1, 3 through 6, he who began a good work will bring it to completion. Well, you know what? There's a lot to that work. And a lot of it for us who are currently serving in ministry means we want to be very honest about sometimes. It is hard. It is wearisome. Asaph, when you go through his story, he talks about people he envied. He talks about the wicked. And the assumption might be that it's people outside the synagogue, the temple, the tabernacle. But again, like I said, he worked for David and to a certain extent, Solomon. So maybe some of what really pissed him off was not so much looking at godless people that don't give a flying Houdini about Torah and God and all that Yahweh stuff, and they have a great life. No, maybe it's a part of the people he actually worked with. It wasn't a throwaway statement. I think it was Michael that said this. Maybe some of you are here, and the hardest thing for you right now in student ministry is working for the group of elders that are in your church or the senior pastor that doesn't perhaps give you yet that freedom that our brother at the Crook of the Hills knows to see a church that would surround the students would even validate them. That may not be your experience yet. But you know, if it is a place of weariness that you're in, this psalm is such good news, and this is a safe place. I mean, I pray this whole week would begin to smell like and look like That great picture in Mark chapter 2, you remember when Jesus is going about his public ministry and the word is out that he's showing up at a certain house down the road and four friends who have a paralyzed friend take the corners of his mat and take him to Jesus. What would it be like this week if we all take our turn on the mat and just take each other to Jesus? In the weariness and and, and the things that are hard. It'd be too easy just to be cynical and whine together. Please don't turn this into a wine fest of either variety. You know, let's, let's carry each other to Jesus because, first of all, just if you were in the greatest church in the country, you're doing spiritual warfare as you're battling for the hearts of students. So whether it's mental, emotional, physical, spiritual warfare you're in, Asaph is our friend. He's just documenting. He went through a season. Was it days, weeks, months? Was it years? We don't know. One of the greatest benefits to me in ministry have been to read biographies of people like Spurgeon and Luther that got depressed, that suffered from melancholy. You know, we we don't wake up every day with angels dancing on our head, and we learn well from those that show us sometimes it feels like too much. And to be able to look across the table, as C.S. Lewis said, knowing that true friendship begins when we can look at each other and say, me too. I had no idea. So listen, from tonight moving forward this week, be vulnerable, guard against cynicism. Don't waste good redemptive anger on cynicism. Anybody can be a cynic. Let's pray. Let's be honest. Two more thoughts here. Notice where the psalm goes. We see the weariness of a man who documented it for us, wrote it down, it's inscripturated, it's true, it's inerrant. He gave us the gift of in a season of ministry. I got this weary. Where did his wandering heart take him? We don't know. We're going to talk more about our wander on Wednesday night. I'm going to share with you some of the places I 
wandered in ministry when Jesus was not enough. We all tend to wander by one of two gravitational pulls, either trying to wrongly fulfill good longings that God has given us, but sabotaging those longings by sin, by really not waiting on the Lord, or some of us wander by simply a commitment to medicate the pain in our hearts. And that's been far more my story, having some heart wounds that until I embraced that burnout and began to get some help, I had no clue how parts of my story defined me so much more than the love of God. The wander is where we go when Jesus is not enough. Now, we simply know what Asaph was wandering towards. He lists for us early in the psalm, health, prosperity, awesomeness, sexuality. There's a lot of things that he seemed to be thinking he deserved and assumed would be his right if he really served God with a pure heart. Where do you go? What what do you think you deserve that you don't have right now? What have you even begun to believe? If you don't get it, life will suck. Be aware of the covenants you make implicitly or explicitly with things you think God promised you. Will the Lord be enough? What will it mean for us to come home to where this psalm even ends? A few more thoughts in terms of I love the whole second half of the psalm that moves towards moves towards just sheer aimless wandering into the wonder of the place of getting perspective. Look at verse 15. Asaph isn't so off the rails that he's just going to spew. Notice what he says, verse 15. If I had said, I will speak thus. That means if I would have just said to the whole congregation what it felt like to be me as your daughter, your son, if I had absolutely un filtered, tweeted it out, I would have betrayed this generation of your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. This could be an operative phrase for us on Wednesday night, but even before then, I want to invite you to be reading through this psalm every day you're here praying the psalm. And think about right in the middle of the psalm, this incredible picture of a man that got disconnected, continued to serve, continued to show up, continued to do the job, but all on the inside, just feeling the furor, the envy, the longing, just the disconnect. But but something happens in his words when he says, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Now, I don't think Asaph got in his chariot and either drove to the tabernacle or temple as though he's talking about a building here. In fact, the first experience of sanctuary in the Bible is in the Garden of Eden before there was any building where anybody would gather to worship God. Sanctuary in the Scripture is the presence of God. See, some of you, like me, have a story. You went to church long before you went to Jesus, but you can be in ministry now and not be going to Jesus even as you're actively seeking to pray Jesus into students' lives. When's the last time you really, really entered sanctuary? Really quieted your heart before the triune God, heard him sing to you, submitted to his commitment to quiet your restlessness with his love. When? And don't shout it out now, but just understand that's far more an invitation than an indictment. The gospel puts an end to indictment. Dear friends, it's, it's invitation this week. 
What will it look like to be in sanctuary, to come to understanding? Now, it's important as you read this psalm that you know that now Asaph does not shift into an imprecatory posture. He's not starting now to say, I'm so glad the bad guys are going to get their due. And the longing for justice is not wrong at all, friends. We long for justice. I have never more wanted Jesus to come back to put all things right. I've never more ached for the day when he who has begun to make all things new finishes the work. So longing for justice is good, but calling down fire on others who seem to contradict your life, that's not what's going on here. It's it's Asaph showing us that in the perspective of sanctuary, he understood if I really got what I wanted and even as we're beginning to demand, oh God, like those who don't know you, it would have destroyed me. Maybe that's going to be a part of what it means to be away for a few days in Middle Tennessee. You're going to realize that, you know, what seems to be like just, you know, one extra beer per outing or just a little peak, not a full bore sexual addiction, but a little run to the pornography shot. Just something, a little more something, that side business you have going that seem, seemingly is going to give you enough money to buy the toys you really want. Oh, to come to perspective and to realize, Lord, thank you, you love me so much, and you've placed me in a gospel community that I can taste some sanctuary this week. Because we see where this goes is, is Asaph. And again, we'll ponder these things together as he moves from um, a place of embitterness, a place of weariness to, to true wonder. You see, that's who we are as sons and daughters of God. We are made for wonder, but we're prone to wonder. He goes on, Lord, here's the perspective you gave me. Surely you place them, meaning those who would try to make life work apart from Jesus. You place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. Like I said, he's not, he's not calling down judgment on people that are not like him. Because notice where he goes in verse 21. He's saying, I I too know what that feels like. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Only the gospel can give us the freedom to own that, friends. Only the gospel can give you and me the freedom to say, Lord, I don't inform you anything in the confession of my sin. I maybe know 4% of the 100% of my sins you've already forgiven. But Lord, I know by your grace, your wooing heart to say, on the inside, I've been acting out in very beastly ways. Sometimes I wrap it up in southern niceness, but I just know where my heart contradicts the wonder I want these students to know. Dear friends, you're on safe ground. You're in a good place to be honest and real from tonight on. In fact, we finish up now, and I'll read these words, make a comment or two, and pray for us, and then Joe's going to come and lead in one final song. Forgive me as I slip out. I've got to fly to Dallas tomorrow morning to do some vocational discipleship, so I'm not the, the guy coming in, eating M&Ms in the green room and getting out real quick. I look forward to hanging with you guys when I get back. But pray for me as I go tomorrow, but listen to these incredible words. And if you've heard nothing else tonight because you're so tired and weary, Lay hold of this. Look at where this psalm finishes. Talk about some wonder. Talk about gospel wonder. 
You know, many of the biggest words in the Bible are three letters. But is one, yet is one. Look at this one. Yet I am always with you. Now, why is Asaph, even when he was bitter, why was he always with the Lord? Because you, you hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Just even, just a, a brief view of where we'll go more fully on Thursday night. But look at the past, present, and future. Lord, you laid hold of me. See, in the gospel, it's always the grasp of grace holding on to us, not my holding on to Jesus. Sometimes envision us sitting in Jesus' big hand and we're holding on to his thumb as though we really are the ones that are securing the deal, right? He will hold you fast. He will hold you fast. See, that's where this psalm ends. If we would say, where is Jesus in this psalm? Clearly, this psalm shows us that the gospel is a person before its propositions. Lord, you've laid hold of me. You hold me with the right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Lord, you're opening doors I can't shut. You're shutting doors I cannot open. I'm planning. You're guiding my steps. And you will take me into glory. There's no doubt, Father, about the end of the story. For me, the cosmos. Whom have I in heaven but you? And then start talking about heaven as this magnificent place, although it will be. The very world we inhabit will be made new, new heavens and new earth. But he's focusing on the who, the who of the gospel. Whom have I in heaven but you? And being with you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail. Notice he didn't shift into now. Here's how I'm going to get perfect body, perfect health, perfect spouse, perfect kids, perfect everything. No, God before resurrection, life might continue to be hard. But heaven's not the story I always wanted. It's the Lord that perfectly loves me. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Last thing I'm going to say, then I'm going to pray. This psalm started with this declaration. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. If that one grabbed you and perhaps even frightened you at the beginning of the psalm, because you know tonight your heart is not pure. Hebrew word for a pure heart, first of all, is not a morally, morally perfect heart. It's a single heart. And maybe like me, you feel a divided heart. But where do we as followers of Jesus find purity of heart? Do we work it up? Do we, do we, do we just work real hard to pray it, fast it into reality? No. Dear friends, through your union with Jesus, you have already been declared righteous and pure in Jesus. Right now, God loves every one of you as much as he loves his son, Jesus, and there's nothing you can do about it but come alive to it. There's nothing more than the gospel. There's just more of it. The purity that you need has been legally given to you. And now by the working of the Spirit and the wondrous riches of the gospel, it's being worked in you. Let's lean into the story together. Let's be present. Let's listen to those at table like us that might be 
weary, that maybe have been wandering since we've seen each other. But for sure, every one of us has been claimed by the wonder of the gospel, the glorious wonder of the gospel. Amen. Let me pray for us. And Joe, you can come on up. Father, thank you for Asaph, for the honesty of this psalm, for the incredible gift to us at the beginning of a conference that we may be sitting at the table with some people in their churches where they can sneeze and lead three people to Christ. And for us, it is far more like Nagoya, Japan. It's just so hard. Lord, thank you that none of us in this room are beyond the reach of your grace or beyond the need of your grace. And I pray the beautiful gift of Asaph and his honesty, his openness, his vulnerability, and his movement into sanctuary will be our experience. I pray, Lord, that we will bear each other's burdens this week and this way fulfill the law of Christ. I pray we will be restored to childlike wonder. I pray that the lyric, the music, and the dance of the gospel will run through this place. Thank you, Lord, that you are not ashamed of any of us. You cherish all of us. Help each other. Help us help each other this week. Tap in in fresh ways to that glorious reality, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.